With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In this bonus edition of Hoosology, we welcome the host of the sports media podcast, Richard Deitch. Richard provides his insight on the state of sports viewership during 2020. He also gives his opinions on how ESPN and TNT handles social justice and more. And now, Richard Deitch. is the host of the Sports Media Podcast and writer for the online publication, The Athletic. We welcome Richard Deitch onto Hoopsology. How's it going, Richard? Good to be here, guys. Um, full disclosure, Richard, um, I've been a huge fan of your podcast um, ever since I discovered it when you did the Paul Heyman interview and been listening ever since. I think you do incredible work. And um, I just want to say that up front, um, I think what you bring to the sports community is a true value to any sports fan. So I, I truly appreciate your podcast. Uh, well, now I question your uh, I question your opinion now, Justin, although I appreciate <laughs> uh, I appreciate that. all. It's very nice of you, honestly, to uh, to say thank you. Um, so let's um, get into this interview. And um, we, we wanted to have you on because uh, my co-host, um, who is not here, we, we talk about ratings all the time, and particularly the, the NBA. And uh, we just wanted to get your perspective first on 2020. This has been a year unlike any other. And within the within sports, um, it's been the probably the most viewed uh, media genre compared to others. So I just wanted to ask you in terms of how ratings played out through, you know, what you saw through the whole sports landscape, what did you think? Did you, did it play out the way you were thinking in terms of once the pandemic hit, you would see more eyeballs on live sports or maybe not? What were your opinions on that? Well, if I go back um, to, you know, let's go back to sort of mid March or April, um, my probably initial, you know, again, we're, we're in a whole different world in December, so it's even hard to sort of think about what how any of us were thinking about anything in March. But I think my initial thought would have been at some point during the pandemic that viewership in certain things would have been way up, particularly like jewel events. Uh, that would have been, if I'm going to be honest, my initial thought, people are stuck at home. Uh People have to work at home and they're going to be, you know, they're going to need more entertainment choices because things like going to the movies or in some cases going outside won't exist. So I am sure that my initial thought was like some of these viewership uh, numbers are going to go up. Obviously, we all know that turned out not to be the case. The reality is that the sports calendar changed and that's first and foremost that sort of changed everything. The the fact that events were not um, sporting events were not happening when you normally were used to a particular sport happening uh, had a significant impact on just viewer behavior and and viewer habits. So, like, if you didn't, you know, like the Kentucky Derby is the first uh, week in May. Like, we sort of just know that as sports fans. And if that changes, well, I think the reality is like <laughs> more people than not, like probably aren't going to necessarily follow like when it changes you have to be kind of a diehard fan of uh of the sports to sort of know everything so that's first and foremost the sports calendar changed 
Secondly, of course, sports calendar changing changing means more competition uh, in those windows. So as we saw very early on in the pandemic, different sports going up against each other at uh, untraditional times. So there can only be so many eyeballs for certain things, and that had an impact. 2020, of course, was an election year. That was a massive factor in all this. If you look at cable news, Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, all their numbers were dramatically up. And viewership has to come from somewhere. And I think, again, there were probably some casual sports fans who made decisions that they were watching election coverage, news coverage, as opposed to uh, as opposed to sports. And then finally, this is probably one that uh, I didn't recognize early enough, but I certainly do now. Um, the pandemic just changed people's lives dramatically in that um, television in particular watching just wasn't as paramount anymore. Um, you got to take care of your family. You got to figure out how you're going to get pay your bills. Uh, in certain cases, you got a lot of family at home. So you as a sports fan might not have your television at that time. It might have to go to somebody else in your family. And that ended up changing, I think, uh, the viewership numbers as well. So that sort of gives you like at least a writ large look as to like what happened. There are probably other small factors too. But, um, you know, you combine all of those different things, and that's where you get some declines. The, the best story that's out there probably in terms of viewership is the NFL, which is, uh, which is down single digits, which really in this environment is just incredible, and it shows you the power of the NFL. And to, to your second point in terms of the changing sports calendar, um, it, in terms of NBA ratings in particularly, um, do you think that was a contributing factor as to to why there was uh, a, a decline there? Uh, just my co-host, we always debate, like, is politics really a factor or not? Um, I'm usually on the side. Not really. There's other, like, factors uh, contributing to it, not to mention the NBA is more of a, I think, evolving sport in terms of their reach um, on YouTube, social media, et cetera. A, a lot of these younger fan bases, not necessarily just watching the games outright, their way to the highlights come out um, after the, the, the conclusion um, of the event. So do you, do you contribute in particularly um, the NBA's kind of rating struggles to that changing um, landscape um, of the sports calendar? Or do you think there might be other things involved there? Well, yeah, the the answer to all these questions, if if you're going to be honest, is like it's always it's always a number of factors. There's never a singular reason as to why um, television viewership in particular is either up or down. It's always multiple factors. Could there be like a singular factor that's more important? Yeah, of course, for sure. But it's never one thing. The country's too big. There are too many variables across the country. If you're, you know, in terms of sort of my perspective on the NBA, why things were down, I think there's a number of factors. One, um, the season stopped and it and it, it, it stopped all momentum from March to until they restarted. That's not good for any of these leagues, whether it's the NHL or the NBA, you're getting no momentum play um, in terms of uh, in terms of trying to get viewership. Uh, not that the viewership of the NBA was so great before that. But that that really hurts. That's 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 a significant one. Second, when they came back, they did um, run into a crowded sports calendar. So in that case, they were dealing with some increased competition. Third, um, I think that, um, you know, this year in particular in the NBA, you know, one of their issues, and this has now been an issue now for two years, is that the West is was far and away the most um, uh, 
how do I sort of say, the West had the most attractive teams in their landscape in terms of viewership. And what that meant is that whether it's LeBron or the Clippers, and obviously before this Golden State was the league standard bearer along with wherever LeBron was, uh, viewership in that first window, that 7 o'clock window or that 8 o'clock window for the NBA, really has lagged uh, since LeBron left the East. And so in order um, – you know, you don't have your sort of your most your biggest stars, your 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 best matchups in that early window. You have it in the late window, and that's not very good for viewership because the reality is, people on the East Coast are, you know, by and large, casual sports fans, not staying up till ten thirty to watch a regular season, or perhaps even an early postseason uh, uh, basketball game. So the league would really be helped by the fact uh, if you can get one of these Eastern teams uh, to be. You know, to really be a draw. That's why Brooklyn, I think, is a great hope for the league. If they're good, uh, Kevin Durant is a star, draws attention. That would be really, really helpful for the league. Uh, Golden State returning too would be helpful. Golden State was the best viewership team uh, during their run, and then last year they tanked. So you got nothing from Golden State. You got nothing from New York and Chicago, two of the three biggest markets in the country. Zion Williamson was out, so you got nothing from Zion, where you hope that he would have been uh, significant viewership. So those are all the game factors. And then fourth, finally, yeah, absolutely. There probably were some people um, who didn't want to watch the NBA because of uh, – I'm not talking about hardcore fans. But you know, there were some people probably turned off by their social justice messaging and didn't want any kind of politics in sports. But I just – I don't – in my opinion and in the opinion of people who write about this stuff and research this stuff and do this stuff, like sports viewership experts, people who research this to sell – broadcast time to advertisers. They don't believe that uh, any kind of politics or social justice messaging were significant uh, factors in NBA viewership being down. Was it a factor? Yeah, probably. But that's where it gets into like how much of a factor. My argument would be this for those who say that like politics are the reason the NBA is down. Well, explain to me why the Stanley Cup finals were down 61%. Explain to me why the Kentucky Derby was down 50%. You know, explain to me why the U.S. Open final uh, round of golf was down, you know, wherever it was, 40, 50 percent. Explain to me why uh, the ma- the Sunday of the Masters was the was the worst, uh, least watched round of the of the Masters in history. You know, I can I can do chapter and verse in this. I can give you a million of these kind of examples. So the NBA is an easy pinata to hit on. There's larger sort of uh, larger sociological issues as to why that's the case, why the NBA is a is an easy one for people to pick on. But um, pol- politics, in my opinion, were not, were not the major reason the viewership was down. It's, I think it's a combination of multiple factors. And you, know, you, you then have to, I think, uh, do a little bit of a guessing game in terms of why those, um, you know, why those factors exist. I will say this, though, you know, and I'm a huge NBA fan. They do have some issues. They, they really do got to figure out who um, the next television stars are post LeBron. It's not that there's not stars in the league. There's great players in the league. You know, we all love Giannis and, um, you know, we all love Bam Adebayo and where I live in Toronto, you know, love Pascal, et cetera. But it's one thing for the players to be great. And another thing for there to be star attractions that a casual sports fan wants to tune into the way they did with Jordan LeBron. And that's the NBA's challenge is can they find, those types of either transcendent stars or those types of transcendent teams to get your casual fans 
uh, involved in the game because that's how you get better viewership. To that point, with with Kyrie Irving um, briefly saying he wasn't going to talk to the media, and then he kind of <laughs> broke that. And, right. and um, uh, can I just rant? Can I hop it on that bandwagon too? How important is it for really the the athletes to actually speak to the media? after the game i mean in terms of their actual contract obligations i mean i think they're contracted to but just in terms of the of like younger fans i mean they're usually tuning into them via um, podcast that they control that they control their own message or through their own social media so for a player like Kyrie or Kevin Durant or even future players entering the league, do you see kind of the the, the post game press conference really going away? Because a lot of these athletes have the, they can just control their message on their own. They since they, there's a mistrust between the athlete and the media, if they can just control the narrative themselves, why even go through the trouble of talking to a reporter? Well, no, it's, it's not going to go away because the league mandates um, the sure. league mandates players talking to uh, the press, which is smart. You know, if you, the NBA and all these leagues, you, you want media attention. You want interest in your game and the media more than not. Uh, and I hate saying media because it's just it's a nonsense uh, uh, catch all term. There is no capital M media because uh, a high school football reporter in Colorado is, has nothing in common with Jake Tapper, CNN. Sure. So let's just say, let's for the specific, uh, the specific, the spe- the, just to be specific here, specificity, uh, say NBA media. So no, I, I don't think players are going to shut out NBA media because, you know, Kyrie Irving thinks NBA media at the moment are pawns or Kevin Durant doesn't want to pl- uh, talk to them. Uh, no doubt though, that the players have, obviously their own avenues now to talk to the public. They have massive Instagram uh, uh, feeds. They have massive Twitter feeds. Guys like LeBron have their own production company, Durant. So yeah, it's not about like, do they have the means to talk to the public? They do, and they'll continue to have it. It's does the league that they work for still believe that there should be kind of, um, uh, should be kind of access for, uh, media who cover the game and the league still believes that, which I think obviously is the smart play. I think it would be almost professional suicide to, to somehow ban, um, sports media from any of these sports. It's, you know, you, you'd be surprised, I think at, at what it might do for your game. I don't think any game is so strong that they, that they can afford to like not have people covering them on a daily basis outside of their media rights holders. But you are correct in that, like, there's inevitably going to be a tension between uh, certain players and 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 certain media members. Uh, I think it, I understand where the players come from. That it's a lot to talk every day, and I I totally respect that. And there's a lot of access. Um, you know, the hope is that both sides can find some kind of medium where everybody can be a professional. For me, I've always sort of approached it as like. Um, you know, if I'm covering a beat and an athlete doesn't want to talk that day, I totally respect it. As long as we can have a, like a, a relationship where, you know, we're sort of treating each other as adults and me as the reporter, I'm sort of always fair and accurate. And the athlete sort of, you know, on the reverse is, is professional and fulfills, uh, uh, responsibilities and requirements that they've agreed to based on their collective bargaining. Uh, I, I, you know, I think it can work. The, the thing about the NBA, interestingly enough, is I think actually the players have, by and large, like phenomenal relationships with with their media, perhaps compared to some other sports. Like I think the NBA guys are they're incredible when it comes to media. Uh, they're very revealing. They're interesting. Um, they're willing to talk. I mean, you have some of the best guys in the league 
uh, global stars like Steph Curry, who are incredibly media friendly. So I think it's if you talk to NBA reporters, I actually think they have it much better, perhaps, than like baseball reporters who have to be there every day, 162 games. You know, that's when it really like the relationship can get a little tense because you're always in their face. So, yeah, I mean, I, I to me. I think Kyrie is an outlier, and I think he's always been one. And if Durant follows suit, he's going to be an outlier too. But uh, trust me, it doesn't mean like Karis LeVert and Steve Nash and Spencer Dimwitty. Those guys, you know what I mean? Like the Nets aren't going <laughs> to sure. shut down. Like the whole team's not shutting down. That's insane. Um, yeah. What What is a reality, though, with the with the pandemic, though, is that all the stuff is being done by Zoom. So it does give the league far better controls over – access that's what should that's if i was a reporter if i was a a publication that's what i'd be a little more worried about is you know what happens if they try to continue this post pandemic which they might you know where it's they they close locker rooms or something like that and they just make everything zoom or everything uh virtual you know that's where it gets you know that's where it gets a little worrisome because your best stories always come from face-to-face contact as opposed to you know you get one or two questions in like an open press conference on zoom uh, yeah, I guess that was that was my point. I apologize. I, I wasn't specific enough. I guess I, I meant like you were saying, like that locker room coverage, like in terms of the athlete, you know, they get the interview after the game and then they have the postgame press conference. But that that, that locker room is closed off. Um, that that might be a changing dynamic, like you mentioned, because of the pandemic and the, the Zoom um, press conferences now. Um, I want to ask you on that point, um, specifically to reporters and commentators, what have you seen in terms of interviewing them, the challenges they face in terms of calling games, of just, um, for instance, Mubike Andrews being in a bubble, I know, um, along with her and Chris Hayes, they were gone for a long time from their families, um, just being in that isolation that, that had to just take to take a toll on them, even though they're, they're busy covering um the, the nba constantly what were what have been your experiences interviewing um kind of these these media um journalists and personalities just discovering um these different sports um has it been more of a challenge is it is it taxing on them or is this kind of business as usual no i mean i think it's um i think it's been tough you know uh at least in the bubble you know you're away from your family you're away from what you know uh, you do have the comfort of mind that you're safe in terms of um, in terms of testing, but everything else is just so abnormal. You know, you feel removed from the rest of society. Uh, you're um, you if you keep in mind, just think about the timing that they were in the bubble with uh, you know what happened with Jacob Blake or George Floyd. Like they, they they I'm sure a lot of these players and certainly the reporters just felt helpless. Like they felt like they had. You know, they were sort of not necessarily stuck, but they were just sort of in this bubble where they couldn't necessarily um, be part of what was going on outside of them. Um, the access was great, they said, in terms of just being able to um, get access to the players. There weren't a ton of reporters, so you're not really, you know, your competition is far less. You're just, you're not, you're not, uh, you know, you're not competing against as many people. So the kind of stories that you can get from inside the bubble, obviously, are, are pretty exceptional. So I think it was a combination. I think they were, you know, I think in basketball terms, it was probably an amazing experience. You'll never probably get that close to the to the court of the players. But in sort of human societal terms, I think it was probably I think they experienced some of the same things that the players experienced, you know, depression at times and and the mental health challenges at times just because. You know, you're you're in your little room, you're locked away, you're in this sort of hermetically sealed 
uh, bubble um, while the whole world is sort of on fire outside of you. So I think they probably experienced, I would think, very similar emotions uh, to the players. And overall, in terms of the viewing experience for the fan, what are your just general thoughts of how the, the league's um, – I guess, adapted to just this new paradigm. Uh, and particularly with the NBA, we saw that the video screens, I know WWE has done the video screens as well. We saw Major League Baseball, which is papered fans. Um, it's kind of it's kind of gone all over the map in terms of how they wanted to um, adapt the fan experience um, just with, with, you know, with how the viewers are seeing it on TV. What were your thoughts? Which is things you saw that worked or things that you saw that didn't work? And what do you think, for instance, with the NBA coming up, they can kind of um, put in place to make the, I don't know, the viewing experience enjoyable? Uh, I mean, listen, I think they, I think what they created was incredible given like what they were working with. I mean, they were at these Disney World courts that had never been used, obviously, for like, you know, consecutive NBA games. And they were able to create some kind of environment that was just very interesting television-wise. Uh, so the look was very cool. The broadcasters like, were able to, at least the ones who were on site, uh, they figured out ways to make that work, putting the broadcasters where they were, you know, 10 rows up. And, um, and so at least you get a, you know, you sort of felt a little bit of a game experience. Uh, they piped in noise on the court. And that, you know, while, again, not a perfect uh, sort of uh, replacement for the crowd, I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, cameras seemed to be able to take us into places uh, where we wanted to go. So I thought they did actually, I thought the, the, the operations team for the NBA and for the networks, like did it, they did an incredible job to me. That was just remarkable. You know, the challenges this year, of course, are just like, you're going to be in arenas, but you're not going to be in any kind of sold out arenas. You're going to have 3000 people. So the challenge, of course, first and foremost, is safety. You know, can you keep people safe? Can you keep them protected inside? these arenas and then secondly sort of how's it going to look um uh, i think very clearly espn and turner are going to do some of the games on site but but during the regular season but you know far more uh remotely far more from either you know bristol headquarters or the the homes of their broadcasters so that's going to be a challenge for the broadcasters is they're going to have to create some kind of you know excitement uh um artificially some kind of excitement where they're not at the court but they're looking at all this stuff on on video screens. That's a challenge. Um, so, you know, for for these networks, the challenge really is tech, technologically. The biggest challenge is to make it techno technologically sound and, and make it technologically working so that you as a viewer just sort of feel like, yeah, it's not exactly like it used to be, but it's as close as we could expect during a pandemic. And then, you know, knock on wood, if these vaccines work and the world gets into a better place, you know, their challenge is going to be like, can we shift into a more normal environment in May and in June? Um, so they, the, the television networks that air NBA games have a lot of challenges this year, but first and foremost, their challenges are technology related. And um, just relating to the, the bubble itself earlier, we were just, just discussing politics. And in my opinion, the, the, the way that the NBA um, addressed a lot of these social justice issues was really fantastic, going into really deep discussions. Uh, really, both networks. Um, TNT's always been great at that. ESPN, not so much. But I thought ESPN took some um, real valuable steps in, in that direction, um, just acknowledging what was going on in the country at that time. Um, moving forward, um, in terms of the NBA, um, in terms of, you know, now the league not featuring Black Lives Matter on the court, 
the discussion of how players can contribute to social justice issues has died down now. The, the election is over. Um, do you see this discussion kind of going away? How does basically, I wanted to ask you, how do you, do you think the, the league should move forward and always kind of um, addressing these issues, even if there's not a hot news topic or some kind of shooting going on? How can they keep their foot on the pulse of what's happening in the country without just always reacting to just a news cycle? Well, I think first and foremost, uh, um, that's going to be up to the players. I, I hope the players continue to decide to use their um, forum um, after and before games to speak out on whatever they wish to speak out. Um, you are correct. The league is obviously going to um, they're going to dial back the on-court messaging of this stuff for sure. Um, you know, should they, should they not? They're making a business decision at the end of the day. Uh to, to, to roll back and and I think the, the the players seem to be accepting of some you know less visuals on that but I think the players um, have the leverage and the power where if this is something that they want to talk about um, the league is going to support them when they're um, you know when they're talking about this stuff publicly so I, I would still expect uh, the players in the league to speak out uh, when they see um, or when when the when the moment calls for them to talk about institutional racism or things like that, I, I think they're going to speak out. I think the press uh, and the, the NBA media will certainly listen and um, and reflect and 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 cover that stuff because um, it's you know it's it's important to the players, and if it's important to the players, it's sort of ultimately going to be important to the to the media that covers them day to day. Yeah, will will we see NBA players get asked about China? NBA's response to China was shit to me, so I think that's those are fair questions. But uh, I'm not sure we're going to get into that this year. I think the NBA obviously wants to try to uh, try to stay away from that issue as 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 much as possible, given it's a given it was a hotbed issue for them in the wrong way. So yeah, I mean, I I think we will see a reduction of what was in the bubble because you know what was in the bubble. Um, one of the conditions that the players agreed to to play was that this stuff, particularly the messaging on the court, would be there. And we're not going to see that as much this year as much as we saw that in the bubble. That said, I do think that um, I hope I'm right about this. I, I think the league understands how important it is to their constituency, which is a mostly African-American constituency. And these are uh, young black men who have things to say about what is going on in this country with people of color. And I think the league, I believe this, I think the league has their back when it comes to that, whether ESPN or Turner does, you know, we'll see uh, Turner, like you said, has always been good with this stuff, especially inside the NBA. They never run away from politics, quite frankly. And some of their greatest shows ever have nothing to do with basketball and have to do with what's going on in society. ESPN, you're right. They they should get credit for sort of embracing what was going on in the country and and getting rid of their sort of stick to sports mantra. I'm not so convinced that 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 they're. I think they want to toe the line a lot more. I think having covered ESPN for a long time, they're much more reactive than proactive on this stuff, and they get a little bit afraid, thinking that they're you know they're going to get bad press or not bad press. That's not the right thing. I think they get a little bit afraid that some bad faith brokers out there are going to really hammer them 
Um, and sometimes they don't have the sort of the courage of their own convictions to just not worry about what bad faith actors have to say. So we'll see. We'll see on the ESPN part. But, um, you know, I mean, anybody who reads me or follows me on Twitter knows that, like, I think sports and politics are inherently intertwined. Close your eyes to this stuff just as being naive and foolish. Um, it goes back hundreds and hundreds of years. You have massive examples of this in sports all the time, from Jesse Owens in Berlin to Smith and Carlos in '68 to Colin Kaepernick in modern day. You just you're fooling yourself if you don't think sports are political. I mean, you know, literally as I'm taping and talking to you on this, uh, uh, you know, the Russians are now it looks like being ba- allowed back in the Olympics after state state sponsored doping. It's all oh, political wow. in yeah. some sense. So, um, so yeah, it's good questions. That, good question that you asked and. And we'll see. I mean, the, the short answer is we'll, we'll see how the NBA treats this stuff uh, as we head into the season. And uh, one more question before I let you go. And again, I really appreciate the time. Um, I wanted to sneak in a WNBA question because I thought sure. they gained a, a lot of traction in the pandemic. And what I've seen on social media is actually a lot of attention of high school uh, women's college, excuse me, women's high school players um, just having their own social media following and um what comes to mind is Paige Buckers. So now she's in, she's playing for right. UConn. And yep. I just, I see a shift in terms of just natural media attention. Do you see that um, molding into more attention on, on the WNBA as a league? Because this, I think this was the, really the first year that you saw um, the WNBA get attention, not only for its the social justice message, but just, just the athleticism and just the athletes on the court. It's getting better. Uh, I'm not as optimistic that somehow, like, like all these different places are going to cover it. They should, of course. I mean, sure. you know, when I was a Sports Illustrated, I covered uh, women's basketball for 15 plus years and, um, you know, really tried hard to write about it when I wasn't writing media stuff because I really liked the sport and admire the athletes. So it's better. We're in a better place. I think more places than ever um, have covered the WNBA. But, you know, um, we'll see, I guess is sort of how I always sort of, uh, put it out there. It's, it's college basketball as a whole, I think sort of has less coverage this year because of the pandemic. And, um, it's a sport that's sort of, you know, at least so far, just, it's sort of getting a little bit lost at least at this point of the season because of everything else that's going on. But, you know, the undoubtedly, um, as the, as the women's basketball athlete gets better, you know, we should see more coverage and we hopefully will see more crossover of, you know, casual sports fans sort of knowing some of these players names. But, um, you know, it's still generally speaking, sort of at least on the broadcast side, it's still ESPN sort of far and away uh, the leaders here. And, you know, for instance, they cut one of their women's basketball writers not too long ago in the layoffs. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. There's still a lot of newspapers around the country that don't have a WNBA writer uh, in their city covering games, covering every game. So I, I'm I'm hopeful, but I still remain a little um, skeptical. But I'm with you. I mean, I think it's a great sport. Uh, you know, I, I watched or covered most of these players when they were in college. And it's amazing to see, like, you know, like the longevity of somebody like Sue Bird or, you know, or Candace Parker and then some of the newer uh, players like Jewel Lloyd or Brianna Stewart, just how they've gone on to go from college stars to, to pro stars. The athleticism in the league is off the charts. Um, I think people are, you know, if they happen to like catch clips of like Fran Belby at Stanford dunking, I think, you know, 
like uh, people, those who are surprised shouldn't be surprised. I mean, the athleticism of 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 this sport has just grown a lot over the last couple of uh, over the last couple of years. So, um, so I'm hopeful. I'm just a little skeptical. I'm not not ready to sort of uh, say like we've arrived because some. Um, this is too many news outlets across the country that literally have a professional team in their backyard and they don't have a they have not assigned a, a reporter to cover it full time. Well, Richard, we really appreciate you coming on to Hoopsology. Can you please let our listeners know um, where they can find your um, sports media podcast? I think it's a, it's a must listen for any sports fan, um, no matter what sport they follow. Uh, just type it into your uh, your Google machine, as they say, and uh, <laughs> you'll see it on iTunes or. Uh, Google Play or uh, Stitcher, and uh, and yeah, anybody who wants to listen, uh, please do. These are, you know, I'm uh, this is not Joe Rogan's podcast. It's a very niche podcast, has its own little audience, but uh, but I appreciate the, the production company let me do it, and uh, and I've enjoyed it. It's a it's a it's a forum where I can go a little bit longer uh, as opposed to the stuff I do for the Athletic. Well, Richard, th- again, thank you very much for appearing on the show. Truly appreciate it. You got it. Thank you for the invite.